0: Lamb of God, 354. If you from sin are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you, died on Calvary, look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God. For he alone is able to save you, look to the Lamb of God. When Satan tempts and doubts and fears assail, look to the Lamb of God you in his strength shall over all prevail look to the lamb of god look to the lamb of god look to the lamb of god for he alone is able to save you look to the lamb of god are you a weary does the way seem long look Look to the Lamb of God, His love will cheer and fill your heart with song. Look to the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God. For He alone is able to save you, look to the Lamb of God. Fear not when shadows on your pathway fall, look to the Lamb of God, joy or sorrow, Christ is all in all, look to the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God, for he alone is able to save you, look. To the Lamb of God. Amen three hundred and seventy two. Three hundred and seventy two once for all. Amen. Three hundred and seventy-two. <coughs> Free from the law oh happy condition. Jesus is bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace has redeemed us once for all. Once for all, us oh, sinner, receive it. Once for all, oh brother, believe it. Cling to the cross, submit, and we'll fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, oh hear His sweet call. Come and He saves us once for all. Once for all, oh sinner, receive it. Once for all, oh brother. Cling to the cross, a burden will fall, Christ has redeemed us once for all. On that last, children of God, oh, glorious calling, surely his grace will keep us from falling, passing from death to life at his call, blessed salvation once for all. Oh, once for all, oh sinner, receive it. Once for all, oh brother, believe it. Cling to the cross, of and we'll fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. And let's turn to 444. My sins are blotted out, I know. 444. Oh, what a wondrous message in God's Word My sins are blotted out, I know If I trust in His redeeming blood My sins are blotted out, I know My sins are blotted out, I know My sins are blotted out, I know They are buried in the depths of the deepest sea My sins are blotted out, I know Once my heart was black, but now what joy My sins are blotted out, I know I have peace and nothing can destroy My sins are blotted out, I know  ¶ My sins are blotted out, I know ¶¶ My sins are blotted out, I know ¶¶ They are buried in the depths of the deepest sea ¶¶ My sins are blotted out, I know ¶¶ I shall stand someday before my king ¶¶ My sins are blotted out, I know ¶ With the ransomed host I then shall see My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. My sins are blotted out, I know. They are buried in the depths of the deepest sea. My sins are blotted out, I know. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful songs that are in this book, songs that talk about you and the great work that you have accomplished for our salvation. We ask now that you would take this time as we continue to study the book of Hebrews that this time would be profitable for our service for you. I pray, Lord, that I would not uh, chase any unnecessary rabbits or waste our time, but we would Spend it examining your word, and Lord, that you would be able to work in the heart and life of each one here. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And uh, do we have anyone still without electricity? Oh, quite a few, all right. So, uh, um, we'll be... uh, just keep things in prayer last year uh, I don't know if it's this way it, just to me, but it does look like the lights are just a little dimmer than they normally are uh The voltage is not quite up, but uh at least we can read and and uh we'll just and the air conditioning works to a degree, and we'll just uh uh keep uh pressing forward and uh pray that uh I'll tell you the only thing I know to pray is. Uh, That uh, the Lord would uh, put some new management in at Con Edison and get this thing straightened out. Amen. Uh, I think it was last summer we had the power go off here two or three times uh, for a day or so at a time, but never quite this long and uh, quite this bad. So let's just keep that in prayer. Um, Saturday, it's supposed to be raining, but We'll just see what happens if we uh, if it's raining. We'll pass out tracts at the at the uh, train stations. If not, we'll be um, at the uh, trying to set up the street preaching again, and then our men's prayer meeting at four, and then regular services on Sunday. Uh, two things to keep in prayer: uh, we have on the schedule the ceiling uh, guys to come back. Uh, and help us try to finish the ceilings uh, in the lobby and and basement, the bathrooms, and then coming up the stairway. Uh, That is July 29th, a Saturday. He thinks he can get it done in one day. Uh, You need to pray (laughs) is what we we really need you to do. And then on uh, July 31st, Uh, Brother Monette, uh, the man that did all the taping in the big room in the basement, is going to bring another man down from his church. And uh, hopefully he'll have all the taping of the sheetrock done and primed, uh, he figures, in about two and a half days. Now that's uh, uh, relying upon two things. Number one, Brother Shaw and I get all the sheetrock up before he gets here. And uh, number two, that everything goes well and he's able to do that. So uh, we need your prayers. If, if we could get these two things accomplished, um, we could uh, very much similar to uh, what President Bush did ac- uh, on that aircraft carrier a couple years ago, uh, all major operations are finished. Now that doesn't mean that we're finished. But uh, it does mean that most of the big jobs will be done with this construction project. That would uh, that would be a tremendous blessing. So pray for that, if you would, uh, that we could... Uh, uh, I, w- I would love to get this monkey, as they say, off my back. It would really be wonderful. And so pray for us. If you have a few extra hours that you don't know what to do with, come on over, and we'll put you to work, all right? And... Uh, uh, we'll try to get that done so just pray about that it's kind of hard to think about all that work that has to be done tonight I'm preaching about rest and uh, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get both accomplished amen And uh, so keep that in prayer and also uh, Sunday afternoon 515 we'll be having a members meeting that's when our church celebrates the Lord's Supper for members of our church and so uh, if you can make that we would encourage you Uh, to do so. All right, let's take our songbook one more time and stand together. 426, Dwelling in Beulah Land. 426. Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth be set on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah land. On the mountain, underneath the cloudless sky, praise God! I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in the land. For doubt upon the world is beating sons of men in battle Along the enemy we stand safe am i within the castle of god's word retreat. nothing there can reach me tis pure land i'm living on the mountain Underneath a cloudless sky, praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Let's sing that third is the last. Let the stormy breezes blow, their cry cannot alarm me. I am safely sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining, here there's nothing can harm me. I am safe forever in Beulah land. I'm living mountain underneath the cloudless sky praise god i'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry oh yes i'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply for i am dwelling in amen you may be seated Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, and we are picking up right where we left off last week, chapter 3 is consider Christ, is look to Jesus Christ to understand that the Old Testament law is not all there is to God's revelation. The first four chapters of the book of Hebrews deals primarily with God's revelation to mankind and what man does with it. God gave his revelation. The greatest revelation, of course, is the personal life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 tells us how in the world are we going to escape God's judgment if we turn our backs on the salvation, if we neglect the salvation that God wants to give us. Amen? We find in chapter 3 that this idea of rest is a promise, is something that God wants to give us. But we can miss it. And we start in verse one of chapter four. It said, "Let us therefore fear Now, how many of you have ever been afraid? I mean really afraid i mean I'm not talking about watching some stupid movie and feeling scared when it's over i mean you've you've been afraid of what's going on around you of uh of uh how many of you have ever experienced uh turbulence in an airplane flight. Uh, I'll tell you, that that's kind of scary, isn't it? When you realize you're about four and a half to six miles up, and all of a sudden you're looking out the window and that airplane wing's going <laughs> It's not funny, guys, let me tell you. I remember riding one plane flight out of LaGuardia Airport to Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, the turbulence was so bad that if you were not strapped into your seat, you would have floated out of it several times on the trip. I mean, it was a real roller coaster ride. And uh, we we have all been afraid, sometimes mortally afraid. Sometimes we've been afraid of nothing, right? I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in it. How many times has there been something in the dark? Other than the coffee table or the corner of your bed to stub your toe on or somebody's shoe. Uh, normally there's nothing in the dark now, isn't there? But it says, let us therefore fear. It says, let us be afraid, let us have some troubling in our spirit, let us truly be scared. It says, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. It says, There is a promise that God has left us of being able to enter into his rest, and you ought to be afraid of missing out on that rest. Now, there's a reason why the author of Hebrews tells us this, because he equates rest, and we'll get to this and, and I believe, prove this uh, later in chapter 4, that the rest that is being spoken of here is salvation. It is not... Uh, it, it'll, again, uh, we, we go back to the Old Testament and we look at the story of the children of Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt. The blood was painted on the door and God's judgment passed over them and they left the world. Picture, Passover is a picture of salvation. The next thing they did was encamp by the Red Sea. And the New Testament tells us that the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. The power of the world is left behind. Egypt Egypt's army was destroyed in the Red Sea. Egypt never again exercised power or authority or enslaved the children of Israel. When we pass from the world, Under the blood of Jesus Christ, amen. We separate ourselves from the world, baptism. And now we are to serve God. Now, many songs uh, talk about uh, the song we just sang, Dwelling in Beulah Land, talks about living in Canaan Land. Canaan land is not heaven. We'll get down a few verses and we'll find Canaan land was not rest because there were wars that had to be fought in Canaan land. Canaan land is a picture of the victorious Christian life and Some of those people, some of those children of Israel who had seen all the miracles, they missed out on the blessings because they never got the opportunity to cross Jordan. Was it because they didn't want to? No, they wanted to. It says they could not because of unbelief. You see, God set up an unseen roadblock. They had to make the right decision in God's time. On Judgment Day, when God judges the unsaved dead, if there were an opportunity given to be saved when they could look over and smell the smoke from the pits of hell, let me tell you, everyone would get saved on that day now, don't you think? In fact, it tells us that every one of them is going to bow the knee and admit that Jesus is Lord. That's what you do when you get saved, amen? But it'll be the wrong time, and it won't do any good. There'll be no rest involved in that day of confessing Jesus as Lord because they will be put into the place of God's eternal judgment and right here it says let us fear we ought to be afraid of missing salvation one of my favorite songs is blessed assurance Jesus is mine do you know how many people cannot honestly sing that song because they have some belief in their religious system that you could lose your salvation or that you have to earn it by doing some some kind of works. I mean, you have to be a Bible-believing Christian in order to believe that Jesus uh, took care of everything on the cross and He is my Savior and heaven is my home as much as if I were already there. I love that song, Blessed Assurance. You have to almost be a Baptist to sing that song. And if you're almost there, why not go all the way? Amen then you can really enjoy it. But it said, let us fear. And again, we have to remember this thing of unbelief is not a sign we wear about our neck so that we can pick it up and read it. Oh, that's me, unbelief. There are many people who are full of unbelief and yet no one would ever guess it by looking at them or talking to them. And we look here, it says, lest any of you should seem to come short of it. He's talking to people who profess faith in Jesus Christ and what I'm trying to say is sometimes we get so wrapped up in our eternal security that we neglect the salvation that gives us that eternal security. I remember dealing several years ago with, with uh, someone and uh, uh, we were talking about what makes a person saved. And, and uh, they were telling me, well, as long as you say... Uh, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please save me. That's all that needs to happen. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, you know people and I know people that say those words and nothing ever changes in their life. They're doing the same things on the day before as they're doing on the day after. They never change anything anything in their life except that they stopped at your importunity and they said those words so that you would leave them alone and you're telling me that that person is saved. Oh, most definitely. That's not salvation. I remember dealing with a Church of Christ person. They believe that you get saved when you mix your faith with the waters of the baptistry. By the way, if you mix your faith with anything, it won't be strong enough to get you to heaven. Amen? Uh, It's got to be pure, unadulterated faith. That means just believe in the Word of God. And this guy was getting a little frustrated with me. I I tend to do that to people who don't understand the Bible truly. and, uh, and, uh, And he was really trying to convince me. He says, oh, he says, you just think you can pray Jesus into your heart. I said, "No, wait a minute here. I said, I could get adversarial like you are right now. I said, you think you rinse him into your heart with the waters of the baptistry? Is that the way it works? Well, he was really getting mad then. And, uh, of course, that's what I'm trying to do, to get him to stop and realize how silly. His, I said, you don't pray Jesus into your heart. He said, he wants to save us, Amen but he's not going to save you until you ask him because that's what the Bible says. It says, For whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the rest the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well, as unto them. Now that's a pretty scary statement there if you're a dispensationalist, is it not? Now does anybody know what dispensationalist means other than Ted and Franz? Uh, I know Brother Gary and some others do and and we've gone through dispensational truth here uh, on Thursday nights. It's simply a method of studying and understanding the Scriptures that helps us as human beings be able to keep a literal and consistent understanding of the words of scriptures. Adam and Eve in the garden did not understand that Jesus would be born of a virgin and live 33 and a half years and die on a cross and rise again the third day. They did not understand all of that. They did understand this that because of their actions sin had entered into the world and death by sin and that Jesus would send his seed, a man born of a woman who would crush the power and destroy the power of the devil. They believed that. The Bible said Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? That God would give him a son. Salvation, the gospel, is the good news from God. Amen. And God took has taken an immense amount of time, millennia, to lay the foundation of His word before us and what we hold in our hand is all of the revelation God is going to give man. It's all in here. So when you hear somebody on the radio saying, I had a vision and God began to reveal to me, turn them off because that's not true. God didn't reveal to you anything that isn't already written down right here. Abraham had the same message as far as God was concerned. That message was that God was going to send a deliverer. Our message is that God has sent the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not much difference in that message. One is a forward focus saying, one day God is going to send that deliverer, our focus is in the past. God has already sent that deliverer, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is going to deliver us from sin. And it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now, there are some people that actually take this idea of different ages and different dispensations in the Bible and they will they take that thing so far as to believe that you can be saved different ways in different parts of the Bible. Nothing could be further from the truth. You are all saved the same way. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Anybody that tells you you can be saved by doing works is not believing in this book called the Bible. Now, you got some real garbage heads out there like Harold Camping, if you've ever heard of family radio. The music is nice, yes. Just don't listen to Harold Camping, all right? Uh... He says, if you pray and expect God to save you, that's a work. Now, excuse me, if I ask God to do what he says in his word and I have faith, that means I'm going to expect that God is going to do what he said in his word. Amen? You see, you have corruptors on both sides. that's why we should fear we have to be very careful we have to examine this thing you're not saved differently in the Old Testament than you are in the new well what about all the sacrifices oh very simple very simple what did God's Word say they had God's Word that said you bring a sacrifice And God's law, 613 commandments, described the sacrifice that was to be brought in commensuration with the sin that was sinned. He had everything all written out, and if you believed in God's Word, if you had faith in God's Word, you brought the sacrifices. It wasn't a slot machine mentality. I'm going to... Okay, God says that if I steal one sheep, I have to pay four back. Since I have 20 sheep, I'm going to steal four sheep, or five sheep, yeah, five, and then I can pay the 20 that I have back, and and I can sin as much as I want as long as I can pay the debt. That kind of thought process is so foreign to the Scriptures. Because the Bible says that if a person were to sin presumptuously against God, if they were just to go out and sin and say, I'm going to do this sin because I want to do it and I want to defy God and His law, that the penalty for that act in and of itself was death, to be cut off from Israel forever. God's law was not to be trifled with. It was not to be played with. In fact, children, if you so much as raised your voice at your parents and cursed at them, said a bad word at, toward your parents, that, could, that in itself could have been a capital crime. Meaning you paid for it with your life. If you went and secretly talked to your friend and said, I went over here to this Moabite temple, it was pretty cool. Let me show you what was in there. That was a capital offense under the Old Testament law because you were to worship no other gods than the God of this book called the Bible. You said, why was the law so harsh and God lets us get away with everything today and we still get saved? Uh, No, he doesn't let us get away with everything and still get saved. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. I challenge you, don't play games with God. You just might miss out on salvation. I've met people over the years. Sometimes I I wish I could look them up and find out what they're doing today. Heard one person said, I, It was one of my classmates in high school, went to a Christian school, church school, and he said, Pete, I can't serve God like you are. He said, I got to make my first million first. He says, Once I make my first million, he said, then I'll serve God. I'd just like to find him and, and see if he ever made his first million. I have no doubts that he did, did uh, that he, he probably did obtain that goal. Uh, but I don't think he's serving God. And if he is, he he wished that he hadn't made his first million first, that he had served God all along. I'll promise you that. You don't put things in front of God and get away with it. That's what it means to fear. If you're here tonight and you're unsaved, you ought to pray to God that that understanding of salvation would be the first thing that happens. It ought to, it ought to upset you. I'd lose sleep at night over that. It ought not just go on and go on and go on. It ought to consume you until you get that thing straightened out. That's what it means. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We have a saying. We say, oh, that's just like water off a duck's back. Anybody, you know what I mean when I say that? You ever seen the little ducks diving in the the river out here and in the pond and they come up and all the water just rolls off their feathers and they can fly. There's a lot of people with the Word of God. It just. Whoo, you could sit there and read them the Bible all day. And it doesn't make a bit of difference because if it's not mixed with faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing the words of this book enough to live them. That's what faith is. That's the working definition. That's what faith always produces. James chapter 2. I wish we had time to go there and spend. we could spend the whole night in James chapter 2. But the idea is living faith produces living works. If you had faith, Abraham had faith. He, God said, you're going to have a son, and your children are going to be more than the stars that are in the heavens. And Abraham believed God. God's word came to him. He said, God, I believe it, and I'm going to live in it. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect in that faith, now was he? Because when Sarah came to him and said, listen, I've figured out how God's going to keep his word. I can't have children and, and therefore, I have a servant. She's my property. Uh, she's, her name is Hagar. And if you'll have it, go into her and pretend that she's your wife, uh, you'll have a child and God's plan will be fulfilled. Now, was that God's plan? Absolutely not. That was human reasoning. Did Abraham hearken unto his wife? Yes, he did. And today, we have two complete people groups who trace their heritage back to Abraham, the Jew and the Arab. And they still hate each other and always will hate each other. And if you want any explanation of the problems in the Middle East, it's right there. And it's not going to go away until Jesus comes. He's the only one that can change the heart because Jesus is not a God of hate. He is love, amen? I've met people over the years, both Arab and Jew, that have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and they could no longer hate the other because of Jesus. Amen? It says, But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Oh, they heard the words of God. They went out every morning and gathered their manna, they did exactly what God told them to do on Passover night, and they painted the blood of the lamb on the door that the eldest in their house did not die. They marched through the Red Sea and saw the Egyptian armies destroyed. They saw and heard God as he sat on Mount Sinai and made a covenant with the children of Israel. But God's word demands action, amen? Amen. And God's word said, you're going to go conquer the land of Canaan. And they said, oh, no, we're not. God put up with their unbelief at the waters of Meribah, where the waters were bitter. God put up with their whining and complaining and God judged those that worshiped the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God did all of these things, and these people saw everything. But there was no faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Now, we're not going to get there tonight but I just we just got to touch on it, all right? Let's look down to verse 11 for just a minute. We're going to skip ahead and then we're going to come back. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's where we're going, my friend. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is the answer. If you don't have faith, you need to get under the word. Now let's get back to where we were. It says, For we, verse 3, which have believed, do enter into rest. Salvation. Amen. As he said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Let's turn... In our in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, we just want to read two verses here. We're going to start and and we've I've made this statement many times and I hope you don't get tired of hearing it, but the book of Hebrews is God's switchboard. It's where He takes time to make the connections between all of the things that God wants us to understand. And we go back to the book of Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, there's a group of people called Calvinists that love to take this verse and say, See, God chose certain people to be saved and he chose certain people to be damned or to be uh, designated to hell in God's judgment forever. That's not what that verse says. God's choosing is always based upon God's knowledge. He knows what you are going to do, what your life is going to be, every detail of your life before you were born because He's God. He knows everything. Amen? God did not Uh, I don't know how else to put it, have a cosmic bingo game and said, ah, number 121. That's Pete Montoro. He gets to go to heaven. Oh, number 122 now. Who is this? Uh, Let me read the name here. Ah, they lose out. They go to hell. That's what the Calvinist has to come to. You see, the Calvinist is trying to explain things that God does not explain. And when you do, you have to make God small enough that you can understand Him. When God looks at time, if you can imagine this, He can look at the end, He can look at the beginning. It's just like one big painting to Him. Because God does not live. He is not controlled. He is not inside of time like you and I are. Time is our enemy, is it not? You are not as young and as strong and as everything you were yesterday. Every day is one step closer to the grave, is it not? God doesn't have any of those constraints. He knew what was going to happen before it all started. Amen? Look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times were you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. I do not understand the patience of God. I do not understand his timetable, nor do I ever claim to understand these things. But God definitely has one, and he is working that, and he knew everything before He started, and he tells us here that faith is the difference. It says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's all said and done, as far as God is concerned. That's why Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Present tense. That's the way God looks at it. But yet it says Jesus was born of a virgin when? In the fullness of time. God is time conscious. He works within the realms of time. He understands you and I and everything about us remember talking to a person one time and they said, How in the world? He said, I- I'm an old man and I'm getting saved now. I could have died a hundred times before I got to the place where I am right now. I said, yeah, but God knew that if you would live into the age that you are, that you would trust Jesus as, his per- as your personal Savior and you would be saved. And God's kept you alive. When all those other people that you know have died, and gone to a sinner's reward. God knows. God wants us to be saved, and God is willing to wait as long as it takes for you to put your faith and trust in Him. But you have to have faith. We go back to Psalm 95, and here again, 400 years After the time of the judges, Solomon built his temple. About 430 years, the Bible tells us, after the passing through of the Red Sea and after the Passover, after leaving Egypt. Sometime during David's life, he wrote that Psalm 95 that said, Today, if you will harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation." God's given you another chance. Those people missed God's rest in their generation because of unbelief. But you're alive today, and you have the opportunity to believe. Don't harden your heart. Take advantage of the rest that God has for you. Amen? It says, the works were finished. God knows everything that's going to happen. It was all done long before He said, let there be light. God finished His work. He is not held captive by us saying no to God. Nor has He made the decision for you and written the script. I heard some guy saying on the... Uh, the radio, we're, we're all just living some kind of script and we're all just robots doing everything that we're programmed to do. He's trying to explain the war in the Middle East. Now, I can explain the war in the Middle East in one word. It's called hatred. That's why it happens. When you take little children and teach them in first grade how to count, Counting a k forty sevens which Palestinian textbooks do when you hold before them the greatest thing that they can do with their life is strap on a bomb belt and go and blow themselves up and some and some Jewish people with them that they have accomplished the greatest goal in life, what do you do to the heart and mind of those children now, Philip, you look this way, all right. All right. Children need to have an understanding of love and care for other human beings in order to grow up and be normal, amen? Don't take that away from your children. Keep them innocent. Keep them simple. They don't have to know everything today, but they need to know about God. And they need to know about a God who loves people, not hates them. And solve all the problems in the Middle East. And it will one day when Jesus Christ sits upon his throne in the city of Jerusalem. There's not going to be any of this stuff. Let's look here in the next verse. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now, how many of you remember that passage from the Bible? Genesis chapter 2 and and verse... Yeah, I think it's chapter 2, verse 1. It says, verse 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Verse 1, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he hath made and rested on the seventh day from all the work which he hath made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in that he had rested from his work which God created and made. And uh, we look at those verses and God was not tired out and had to take a break. I'll tell you what, when we work we get tired God doesn't he said listen I rested on the seventh day because I finished my work there is nothing left to create nothing has been created since the sixth day of creation and nothing's going to be created all of the matter That is in the universe was already there, in motion. The different things that that go on today, you say, Oh, we created a new element. Oh, no, we haven't. We've just modified the ones that we already have. We had to start with something. No one's ever taking nothing. Nothing and made something out of it. And someone says, Oh, yeah, but yeah. You know, there's those wheeler-dealer businessmen. They they start out with nothing and end up with $10,000 in one week. Oh, but they had an awful lot to work with. A whole lot of it is right up here. They just know how to play on people's emotions and how to uh, it, do different things. They started with something. You take absolutely nothing. You take a vacuum in a bottle. That's the closest thing to nothing you will ever have. Pull the cork off the bottle, and what happens? It fills with air, or whatever happens to be around it. Anybody ever seen the egg trick where you take the old milk, narrow-neck milk bottles, and you put a little match in the bottom of the bottle, and it'll suck the egg right down in it because it burns up the oxygen, and it creates a vacuum, and that vacuum will pull the egg right down through. Now you don't hard boil the egg first and then soak it in vinegar so the shell gets soft you'll have a mess but it'll still suck it through the hole there and uh, just a little trick to the wise if you ever want to freak somebody out but um, the what the Bible is talking about here is God rested on the seventh day now we're making the connection creation Old Testament law, Sabbath, New Testament salvation, all three are centered around one word, rest. Andrew, take Philip. He's, he's, we've only got about three minutes, but he's not going to make it. Now, we have all three of these things connected here in the book of Hebrews. You and I would not be able to make these connections if they were not made for us in the Scripture. Now, we might make those connections, but we would never be assured or understand that these are connections that God wants us to make, that all three of these separate events are actually a picture of what God wants to do in your life and in mine through this thing called salvation. The work is finished. If there's no work to do, then we may what? Rest. That's why I'm asking you, please pray that we can finish the sheetrock and get the taping in the ceilings up, because I'm tired of working on the building like this. I'd like a little more uh, rest from that work so I could do some other work. <laughs> but God rested. It was all done. The Sabbath was commanded in God's law to keep the Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath was a separate day from all other days. It was a day of rest. You were to do no work. You were to make no profit on the Sabbath day. You were to kindle no fire. God took care of everybody from the animals in the stall to the richest man that owned an entire uh, plantation, whatever you might want to put in your mind, the man that owned uh, a huge area of property and had many people working for him. God took care of everybody. You're not to make a profit on the Sabbath day. You're not to buy, you're not to sell, you're not to kindle a fire. So ladies, you couldn't cook on the Sabbath day. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have one day a week where you didn't have to cook? And by the way, taking a frozen dish and popping it in the microwave and hitting the button, watch nothing happen because Con Ed didn't do their job with the wires, is still kindling a fire and still cooking. You weren't allowed to do anything. It all had to be prepared the day before. In fact, when we moved into this building... Everything was on timers. The air conditioners were on timers. The lights were on timers. Everything was on a timer because it was against the law to kindle a fire or to flip an electrical switch on the Sabbath day. Now let me ask you a question. If you set the timer to flip the switch for you on the Sabbath day, are you not still in reality flipping the switch on the Sabbath day? Yes, you are. Guilty. The Sabbath was not a day for worship. It was a day of rest. It was a day for you to think about God. Think about His law. Yes, it became the tradition of the Jewish people to assemble in the synagogues and have the teaching of God's Word on the Sabbath day. And that's a very good thing. But that's not what the Sabbath was all about. The Sabbath was about rest. And that's what salvation is all about. How many of you used to belong to a religion where you thought you could earn your salvation by doing certain things? Any of you remember those days? Do you remember in your heart and mind when you begin to think about this thing called heaven and, and think about standing before God with all of your sin and you begin to really question this fact as to whether if these things that you did really took care of the sins that you had committed? If you think about that long enough, it will drive you mad. Because you know in your heart, truth tells us that once we do something wrong, we can't take it back. You hear about the painter that found a great big wad of cash in somebody's house, and he stuck it in his pocket, took off with it. and then he called him up, and he says, "You know, I found 2,000 dollars as I was painting your house." And he said, I don't know what became of me, what came over me, but I just took it. And he said, that was very much wrong of me. He said, I'm going to bring the money back, and I'm not going to charge you for the paint job because I did wrong. I'm just going to do it. And they had him arrested when he showed up to give him the money back. You say, that's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. Oh, no. That was well within their rights because even though he admitted to the crime, he had still committed it even though he had given the money back, he still committed the crime. And he will probably, because of the American judicial sh- system in the shape that it is in today, he'll probably get off without any punishment whatsoever. But that man is still a thief, is he not? He committed the crime. You say, Pastor, why are you... Because Let's just substitute another crime in there. Let's say he murdered somebody and then he felt bad about it. Can you take back that crime? No, you can't take back that action because somebody died. You can't bring them back to life. Sin is sin in God's eyes. We go back to verse 1 and it says, Let us therefore fear. You see, you can't take back sin. God's records are perfect. We need rest, and that rest comes when we let the works that were done from the foundation of the world pay the price for our sins. That's salvation. That's faith. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would bring these truths home to our heart. Help us to understand that we, we need to, to labor. We need to seek for this rest. Lord, that your word is interconnected from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. We pray that we would see these things and we would understand. Lord, we pray that your will would be done in our hearts and in our lives. Before we finish that prayer, I would like to just take a minute and open the altar if you'd like to come and pray. The opportunity is here. Let's not be long tonight. If you need to come, just step out.